Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. You are listening to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast. Swung on, lines the deep left field. It is gone! This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 161. I'm your host, Matt Lyons, and in this week's episode, we'll have some meatballs, discuss Corey Kluber going to the Yankees, talk about some zip, zips, projections, and what they project for the Indians, talk about James Karinchak and his pitch tunneling, and of course, we'll answer your questions. Joining me for all that and more is other Mr. Merritt Rolfing. Merritt, how are you doing? I'm great, man. Thank you for asking. I appreciate it. I'm just researching the legendary George the Cleveland, uh, <laughs> I believe it's. <laughs> I've run into the part of my of my travels through uh, the history of Cleveland baseball players uh, by war, where I've reached guys whose names I can't pronounce. So that's always good. Uh, next comes um, possibly fake names like Early Win, fake man, and also lots of alliteration. Terry Turner. But right now we're at George. Apparently, it's pronounced Yuli. 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 I like mine more. Anyway, so that's where we stand. There's a lot less, a lot fewer for people calling on that. Um, a litter of names now there, isn't there, than there used to be. But you don't oh, what about Trey Turner? Well, screw that then. I guess you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Freddie Freeman. That's just yeah, one okay. division. <laughs> uh, I can keep on going, probably. I'm going to click on a Kenya? random team. Minnesota Twins. Let's see if we have anyone on this one. Uh, Byron Buxton. There's one. Damn it. Okay. Uh, let's go another one. Uh, Philadelphia Phillies. We have any here. This is my new favorite game. Alliterative fun. Make Matt look like an idiot. Uh, Everybody's oh, Mickey game. Moniac. There we go. Yeah. Okay, do we have another one? Let's pick another. Well, team. there's none on All Cleveland, right. so that point stands. For uh, now. Let's see. David Dahl. He's not technically on the Rockies anymore, but he was on the Rockies last year. Cleveland Indians. Let's see. Oh, Bobby Bradley. Anyone? Damn it. Yeah, Bobby Bradley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Really showing that's your ass right by, now, Matt. By percentage, Merritt. <laughs> not, we're not counting. There's still some, but there's. Well, I feel there's a little fewer. I mean, what's really missing is just guys who are named with like high pockets and like, uh, you know, you know that's what we old, old bean head and things of that nature, you know, because he was beaned <laughs> in the head at some point or else he was eating beans in a can off of his head or something. You I mean, know. We need better nicknames. That's well established. That Hands down. We need nicknames, period. I mean, I mean, I Bradley's, or Bobby Bradley's the assassin. That's one big reason I want him to be good, just because that's he a has sick that name. Nickname. Yeah, exactly. But like, we need na- nicknames that just kind of exist within your name. You know what I mean? Like, we, you're just called that instead. Like, if Bobby Bradley had a nickname, like, uh, what would be a good nickname for him? Uh, Bobby Big Shoes? Hammerhead or something like that. Yeah, yeah, Big Shoes Bradley. You know, yeah, they just called him Big Shoes Bradley. Yeah. Like and if you ever got it, like oil can Boyd. If you ever get his his, his baseball card, it just says oil can on it. I don't even know what his real name is. And I'm never going to look it up. 
Because I feel like Roberto good. Perez could be an oil can. He's got an oil can yeah. feel to him. I mean, I mean, he goes by Bebo, which means nothing to me, but I don't know. Um, old Haas Radborn. He had a real first name, but he's only known <laughs> as old uh, Cy Young. Another fake name. So <laughs> Nolan Jones. Nobody's named Nolan. That's fake. No one has That's ever name. been named Nolan except Nolan Ryan, and he was <laughs> fake himself. His real name was Gary. There you go. So there you go, people. You'll learn something today. <laughs> you know what isn't fake, Matt? Ugh. You don't even ask anymore. <laughs> oh. Of course, it's the meatball section where we give you little tidbits of information, fun stuff to to chew on and throw over the plate for you. Um, I, I don't want to say chew on. That sounds worse. Yeah, it's but, gross, uh, dude. <laughs> what's your old moldy meatball? This. So uh, this I was curious about um, over the last, uh, we're up to 12, 13 years now, uh, a Cleveland pitcher has won the Cy Young like 100 times or something like that. Uh, yeah, the, the number is actually like one, two, three, four, five or six or something like that. Five? Samantha Lee, a few. Kluber, Kluber. Yeah, five. Anyway, <laughs> uh, they've won it six times overall. And I got to idly wondering, oh, I wonder who the best one was. Oh, that's an interesting question to ask. And wouldn't you know it, I found out who it was because that stuff is readily available information-wise. Not only was this man the first Cy Young to win, oh, first man to win a Cy Young in a Cleveland uniform, it's also the single most dominant pitching season by a Cleveland pitcher ever. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if you can guess who it is. I mean, I want to go chalk and say Bob Feller, but I don't think it is. It's not that Bob seems too Feller. easy. They didn't have a Cy Young. Oh, they didn't have a Cy <laughs> Damn. It. Um, I don't know. Who would it be? Come on, Matt. Who is it always? Oh. <laughs> Why am I blanking on his name? But it's always him. Wrong. It's um, not him. It's not Sam McDowell. Oh, okay. There's Sam <laughs> another, McDowell. Another good one. Sudden Sam McDowell. Uh, good nickname. But actually, it was Gaylord Perry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Perry is not known to be a... But doesn't isn't remembered as a Cleveland player per se because he played for eight teams in his twenty-two year career, spending only four, well, three and change basically uh, with Cleveland. He left in nineteen seventy-five because he did not get along with uh, new manager Frank Robinson for various reasons we won't get into. Um, but uh, yeah, for that one year, three hundred forty-two innings, uh, one point nine two ERA, twenty-four wins to lead American League, sixteen losses. Uh, he had an e- like I said, ERA of 192, which, keep in mind, this is a couple years after they lowered the mound. Um, that ERA is something like nearly two points lower than average, as opposed to back in 1968 when he had a 2.45 ERA, when I think the, the, the league average was something like three, basically. You know what I mean? So, he, he, again, he was incredible in a time when offense was back on the upswing. But the little dab of Parmesan cheese on top of this neat moldy meatball of the first ever crowned best pitcher in, in in baseball as an Indian. Do you know how Gaylord Perry ended up in Cleveland? He was traded. He was traded. Do you know who he was traded for? I'm not even going to try. He came from San Francisco, and he was traded for Sam McDowell. Okay. <laughs> it's always Sam McDowell. That's why it's he's always, so sudden. It's always that motherfucking Sam McDowell. It's actually pretty impressive. Over basically, uh, McDowell spent eleven years in Cleveland. Uh, it was great. Two ninety nine ERA, uh, piled up forty two point five wins above replacement as a pitcher, and he was traded for basically three and a half years of Gaylord Perry. Perry, despite only being there three years, pitched eleven hundred and thirty innings. Uh, held on to an ERA of where did I put that? Where did I put the ERA number? Two seventy one, um, and he was worth himself. 28.6 wins. So, uh, basically, they drafted Sam McDowell, held him on for a while, 
Uh, got two-thirds of a Hall of Fame career out of him, traded him for Gaylord Perry, got the rest of a Hall of Fame career out of it. And then I eventually tried to see how I could connect it to the modern day, but the trade kind of peter out sometime in the late 80s. So anyway, I just thought it was uh, interesting to look back in history and see where the, the pitching dominance kind of began, I guess. It didn't really begin there. I think obviously it began with not even so much McDowell or Feller, but a couple of guys back in the 20s. But there you go. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have one this week, but yours allows me to segue nicely into uh, talking about, because I mean, for the first time, I feel like all offseason, even when Francisco Lindor was traded, it still wasn't a busy time. It was just something for us. But now it feels like there's a couple signings that happened for once. Um, obviously, one of the biggest ones, are, biggest to me, I guess, is that Corey Kluber signed with the Yankees over the weekend. Gross. Um, which is very gross. Um, he signed for $11 million, which feels high to me, considering he, he didn't pitch... He barely pitched in 2019. He had a freak injury. And then last season, he had a shoulder injury after what was like an inning he pitched with the Rangers. So, I mean, he's not exactly in in peak physical condition, I wouldn't think. But also maybe because he's in his late 30s, it kind of benefits him to be out a couple of years. But he threw for scouts. Um, the Indians were there. Obviously, probably is just due diligence and just respect because it's Corey Kluber. So, you might as well go watch him and pretend you're going to sign him. But hey, Corey. he signed up the Yankees for $11 million. Just waving at him. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Corey. Remember me? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I'm sure there's other people that were bidding him up at least a little bit. I, I especially like the Yankees, he's going to be their third or fourth starter, which is kind of sad for them. But um, I'm happy for Corey. I, I think um, it sucks he's going to the Yankees. One thing I noticed that people were complaining he wouldn't have the beard, but also I don't think he'd have it anyway because nobody seems to remember that he grew that out of spite because his wife said he couldn't do it, and then she finally called it off and he was thrilled to shave it. So Corey Kluber is going to be bald, but I think it's by choice. But I always liked him with the stubble. I always thought, in my mind, iconic Corey Kluber is stubble to short beard. I suppose something, something in between, like um, not quite like a Zach McAllister sort of a thing, uh, but like you know what I mean, like not like an ungroomed stubble. Correct, yeah, but a groomed, ungroomed stubble, I guess. I don't know. It's (laughs) not an overly trimmed one like Zach McAllister, but right, exactly. Like he, he he got a beard trimmer and set it to like one or something i don't know i just trimmed it like that um i thought all right so i, I remember reading that article about uh the him the, the scouts going to watch him pitch and, and everyone's like well he's throwing 88 to 89 but everyone knows he's gonna get stronger and in my head i'm like do we know he's gonna get stronger throw harder? Like, <laughs> i mean that was his issue I, that it was throwing like, weaker i guess he will why are we all agreeing on that? all right cool man i mean more power to him i'd like him to be successful i guess um i'd like him to be have the kind of Yankee career that say Randy Johnson had where he was individually successful, but ultimately the team just kind of spun its wheels for several years. I think that's really the goal. Anytime a beloved player ends up on the Yankees is, you know what, man, pitch your heart out, seal up a, I don't know, a hall of fame career or something, but hopefully it doesn't actually help the, uh, the team go anywhere. I, yeah, it'll be, he, when he's really clean shaven, man, it's really slick looking. It's kind of creeps me out. It is. I always use it as, as the weaker Kluber for some reason, which I think you want to Cy Young with a bald face. But like you said, it's a stubble that is peak Corey Kluber for me. That's Because that's the World Series Kluber is the stubble, that's why. So, like, yeah, what's their rotation look like now? It's going to be what? Cole, Tanaka, I guess Paxton's on the team. Isn't he hurt? And then... Um, I think he is, but then it's Kluber. I mean... Kluber, uh, what's his name? It should be coming back too, though. And right? I don't think Tanaka's uh, a lock. Isn't he a free agent? He can go, he's talking about he might go back to Japan. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so he might, yeah, he might leave too. But then, well, they have... So, I mean, um, it, What's that guy's name? Jesus Christ, I can't believe I can't remember. The really good young pitcher they have. Yeah, I know who you're. Um, this is Kit Louis Severino. You know, you like, like he he got he had what I think Tommy John surgery. He, yeah, so he I mean, he'll be back. Last year. He'll be back. Yeah. yeah, but they have nobody reliable behind Garrett Cole, which is an issue no. for them, but not an issue for me. 
Now, one other thing that came out recently, um, Dan Zimborski, he did his, his write-up of the of Cleveland Zips, but now it's all released where the whole league is done, so they have their whole leaderboard on Fangraphs. And, of course, it makes it easy to sort through Indians players, um, which you, you don't want to do. I'm, I'm telling you, you don't want to look. <laughs> it's You got Jose Ramirez at the top. That's good. 5.6 war. That's that's really good. Unsurprising. I mean, yeah. And then to be you honest with you, I look at the numbers that they're rejecting, and I'm like, this seems – every time I do this, I'm like, this seems low, and I'm like, I know that's the point. But anyway, you were saying. Right, yeah. Yeah, they're always conservative, but – yeah. But, I mean, there's a little gap, just a tiny gap, between him and uh, Nolan Jones is the second highest position player at two war. And then after that, it's just Ahmed Rosario is number three at 1.7. Um, it is an ugly projection for the Indians all around. I mean, we already knew this from looking at when uh, Dan wrote it up, but seeing it all laid out on one spreadsheet like this really hits home, like, how bad this offense is going to be. I mean, it's also, like you said, it's conservative, so it's going to be better than this. But, yeah. I mean, they do have projected, assuming Bobby Bradley actually plays, which they have him in the projections playing they have four 20 home run hitters which i think is all right but man everything else about this lineup is not pretty i mean gabriel rias if if there's if there's any weird way that he comes up they have him for 17 home runs which seems crazy um except bowers for 16 it's daniel uh, johnson's got 14 wait what do i just am i sorting this wrong okay no i'm not 14 home runs from daniel johnson i accept man you know what i don't care yeah, cool. I mean, everything else about him is not great in the projections, but shut up. Um, I mean, I still believe in Daniel Johnson. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I think he can outperform this, but the projections are not good for him. A 687 OPS is not great. Which one? Pick a name here. We could write this down and have some sort of not wager, but you know what I mean. Gentlemen's honor bet. And we can each pick one and see who will, which one will uh, overachieve more based on whether OPS or wins above replace. Now, wins above replace isn't fair because they might not get the playing time. Um, based on their projected OPS, who do you think will outperform their projection the most? I'll pick one and you pick one, and then we'll check back in October if we remember to. Now, I'm going to suggest one. Or did you say you go first or me? You go first. Okay. So I'm going to suggest one. You can tell me if it's just cheating to do this. But I'm going to say Jordan Luplo because I'm assuming they don't have him projected as a platoon. This is cheating because he's going okay. to be <laughs> he's okay. going to Never be platoon, <laughs> They have a 771. Okay. Full-time player. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'll try to look down at it now. I think uh, he's going to be about there. No. See, he stinks. This is great audio. That's Thanks, what I'm God. doing, basically. Thanks, <laughs> no, he's bad. Fine. No, he's Roto bad. Perez, terrible. Hmm. Um, oh, wow. Six Fred Reyes is right on. They have an 812. That's not too bad. I think he's. I think he's I'll do better. Be I think it'll be like 840, personally. But um, I think, I I think it'll be easy to go up. I just. I, Josh I Taylor, I don't think it's fine. I really? guess maybe Oscar Mercado. I, I'm going to go Oscar Mercado. I think he'll be That's better than That's a fair one. 665 with a 242, 295, 370 batting line. Uh, his OPS, like I said, is 665. Okay. That's a that's a good choice. Um, wow, 11 home runs. Really? All right. I'm going to go with – you know who I'm going to go with is – what should I do it? I'm bouncing between Roberto Perez and uh, Jake Bowers, and I can't decide which way to go. Will Jake Bowers have an 800 OPS this year? No, probably not. But will Roberto Perez have a 700 OPS? I think he will. I'm going to go with Roberto Perez. Lock it in. There we, we both go. Oscar Mer- <laughs> we didn't exactly go daringly there. No, I, honestly, I was thinking about going with um, with uh, Josh Naylor. I don't know why, but I just have I have this stupid inkling in the back of my head that he'll be like an 850 plus OPS kind of a guy. I think he'll he will be an effective actual. Because they're going to have to play him every day. Because where the hell else are they going to find offense? And I think that's going <laughs> to yeah. really help him. And because I have the memory of a an ant, the last thing I remember him doing was bl- brutalizing uh, Yankee pitching. And so uh, I believe in that, and I think I'm going to have it again. 
And I think he's going to keep on doing that and being great. So who knows? I mean, if he's anything like that series, then good Lord, they won that. Right. Exactly. Then he's literally the best player in baseball. So (laughs) maybe, maybe. So maybe not the whole time, but I think um, it's cute that his brother is also on here. Isn't he? I yeah. I saw him no, I don't think he's on here. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I saw Bo. I saw Bo Taylor, not Bo yeah. Naylor. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Bo Naylor is a couple years away, but there's a there's a small chance they could play together, which I think would be kind of neat. I, I think it'd be awesome. Team. And then they get into fussy fights in the in the dugout. And we're like, oh, you boys, oh you. And it's but neat anyway. too because like you can see, because I mean they're brothers, so you can kind of look ahead at Naylor's projection body type, kind of. But he's right now Bo is way more, let's say, fit and athletic than Josh Naylor, which is fine. Naylor makes it work for himself, but. Bo's a catcher and he has to be slimmer. But I don't know if that's fair because all my brothers have very uh, husky backsides, and I do not. I have a narrow butt, so I don't You're know. Your brother's <laughs> thick. You got yes. some sick brothers, man. <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Uh, but yeah, so those are uh, there. You go lock those uh, listeners. Write those down, and we'll circle back in October. Um, uh, wait, so what was your final one? Was it was it Naylor or were you going Roberto Perez? No, I'm going to go Roberto Perez at 633 because I think he will have another one of those seasons where he hits 20 home runs unaccountably. And, but I will account for it. <laughs> there you go. Yes. That's, I, I don't think that's a dumb? one. Just because I yes. like Roberto Perez so much that I think he can overperform it. Which, by the way, he was not included on um, MLB Network's top 10 catchers right now, which is a huge oversight. Yeah, like that's the one where they're supposed to be using, like Brian Kenny's on there. They're supposed to be using the shredder and all that stuff and like, you got to account for his defense. He's you can't hit for shit, but whatever. He's the best defensive catcher in baseball. He's got to be at least. I, I I think he's still a top five catcher, but I mean, if you're going to be really conservative about, it, he's at least top ten. But they didn't have him. I think that was back when I still had MLB Network and I was watching that episode because it was back in like November, and I just got really mad all of a sudden because I was like, "Well, they're up to three already." I'm like, well, "So is it?" I mean, I assume they're going to Real Muto, and then let's see. I think I see. I was like, "Oh no!" So yeah, that was upsetting. And stupid, honestly, and poor thing, poor thing. Because as we've said over and over, this is a Roberto Perez podcast, and we all recognize that he's probably actually a. What do you think his actual impact on the on a guy? If if we could calculate his actual. Oh, I don't think we can even overblow too much, but we can't even quite calculate. I don't think. Like I'm saying, seven plus is what I'm saying. Six. How many wins he gets? Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's actually valued at that number. Yeah, if we could factor in defense correctly, I think he's he gets the Indian six or seven wins. Yeah. If you could find a way to to factor in how he controls a staff and how much everybody trusts him, I mean, like eight nine wins, he's insane as a catcher. Yeah, no, he's, yeah catcher. exactly. And, and he's so especially now with, with them having basically purged all veterans from their uh, their rotation, they're gonna he, he's going to be instrumental. Um, now, looking at the other side of the projections is is the pitchers, obviously, which. If you're following Cleveland, it's you'd expect them to be pretty good, but they are not pretty good. Um, Shane Bieber, 5.4 war, 3.51 ERA. That's okay. I think he might be better than that even. But after that, it's like Plesak, 4.48 ERA. Aaron Savali, 4.75. Cal Quantro, who they project to be a starter for most of the season, 4.98. So I don't think – we were talking about this before the show. that I, I think I, I get what they're doing because these are just projections. They use like trend lines and player trends and – regression and all that stuff but i don't think obviously those can't account for big changes that the that cleveland does to these pitchers when they get their hands on them like i don't think the system can know how well zach plesak can tunnel or how well cal quancho can spin his two-seamer or whatever but i think those are the kind of things that are just making these projection systems they're outpacing them there's no way for them to incorporate it when you're just doing the result stats it's going to get to a point where they have to use like the baseball savant stuff like spin rate and um, like pitch mirroring and 
spin direction and all this stuff. They need to start using that in projections. Because right now, like, I don't think the pitching staff is going to be this bad. One starter with an ERA under four, I don't think that's going to be the case. I mean, like, Scott Moss is another option for the rotation. They have him at 5.18. Um, that's probably not going to hold. Tristan McKenzie, 4.93. And he's, it's his second year. He might not be good the whole season, but I think he's going to be better than that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, just based on how this, how Zips works, it's, it's just projections and trends, and it's not using like the development stuff, which is where we are in baseball and in projecting. So it, it looks terrible. I think it's going to be way better than these have um, the rotation at. I'm surprised. I mean, maybe I'm, I'm wrongly surprised with this. Cause I'm just going to check a different year real quick. They have like 11 guys, I think. Wait a minute here. One, two, three, four, five, and 10, 11. Yeah. 11 pitchers saying they're going to make at least 21 starts. And I don't know if I'm just misremembering stuff, but that seems really high, honestly. Uh, like the last time we had a full season, like it was two years ago, but still, they had six guys make at least 12 starts. Um, so I, I don't know if they're just not counting on guys like Plezak and Savali and, and uh, well, those two mainly to make more than, to make 30 starts, but like. Well, I don't think it, it like compares them to each other. No, like I know. Just but in I, a it's vacuum, just, Aaron Savali is going to start 25, but. I, I guess that's fair. I don't know. I just, you think it would add up to a normal number. Um, but yeah, to your point, you know, it's like they, they don't even, even, even simple things like that. Like obviously we have all the, the fun stuff with the spin rates and the, and the adjusting how you're throwing the pitch and things, but even little things like throwing more of something less of something else. You know what I mean? Like just moving, adjusting how you literally just what pitches you're throwing. is such a simple thing that we've seen work just like a billion times. Like every single year, like someone does something to adjust how they, approach just approach the game and like maybe he'll just stop throwing his sinker altogether you know what i mean uh, talking about uh, cal quantrill uh maybe he'll just i don't know maybe he'll throw 40 percent sliders and this will just change everything because that's just how pitching works these days and i mean on top of that obviously we have to wor- worry about the bullpen but that's that's a that's a story for the day um <laughs> i think the bullpen's gonna be fine i mean that Karen i think it'll be good fine. yeah phil mayton which he got a pretty the... good projection phil mayton's 3.68 you're goddamn right you jerk he's the 11.17 strikeouts per nine that's that's what the second wow that's the second highest on the staff I mean, he gets a lot of strikeouts wow. he walks a lot yeah i know man yeah zips likes they, him i didn't they, I they like him a lot i think it's just he's he's got the stuff you know what i think it's because i have the eye for something like this and you are blind I love that they have Emmanuel class saving like 7.94 or something. Like, yeah, he throws 100 miles an hour. Uh, it's fine. Don't worry about it. He won't yeah, get this right I wonder that one. Because unless you, they, the factor's in like a suspension for PEDs somehow. There's got to be some kind of thing in there, I guess. That'd but, be weird. But the, <laughs> well, no, I guess in the minors, he didn't have that high of a strikeout. No, he's always been a contact guy. Is the thing. Like, he, he throws 100 miles an hour. It's a 100-mile-an-hour cutter. And he's pitching to contact like, like a weirdo. Which, again, is fine. The bullpen or the, the infield is going to be so good uh, defensively again. But. Again, I'm not. Th- this is um, not exciting to look at. Uh, every time I look at um, projections, though, every year I get mad again because I'm like, he won't. He'll be way better than that because I my brain shuts off again, and forgets the thing that I always know. But <laughs> the angry you know. monkey brain comes in and just start yelling at the numbers. <laughs> what the hell? I just throw my <laughs> throw my computer out the window again. Oh God, I gotta get a new one. Yeah, I'm like the hitters. Like I look at every one of these pitchers, and I could just close my eyes and point at one and say, I think they're going to overperform. Oh, definitely. Like, please, that is going to be better than that. Savali is going to be better than that. I, I, he was, I, he was less than impressive in 2020, but I think more than anything else, it was a growing year. And, uh, I think he'll add a little bit of velo. Uh, he got more strikeouts. He got, he walked less people. He gave up more home runs. I mean, it's, it's a variance thing right there. He got more ground balls than he did a year ago. Um, yeah, I think he won't have a set 15.7 home run per, per fly ball ratio. It'll be closer to six points. Well, it'll be closer to that than probably six point six, but 
it's still going to be good, I think. And it'll be closer to a mid to high threes guy. But again, it's, it's splitting hairs at that point. It's, it's like you said, it seems like these numbers are so stupid. Like James Karinchek, strikeout rates 18, basically. Nice. Oh, yeah. 17.13. I mean, it's not. I mean, as a 3.170 ERA, so it really believes in James Karinchak, which I think is fair. As long as he can not. Well, the, he has that ERA numbers, with almost man. a seven, <laughs> seven walks per nine. Yep. Oh, God, that's ridiculous. I, I Walk him or strike him out. He's, he's got a system. I mean, you know what? As long as he cycles it correctly, he'll get out of every single uh, <laughs> inning he's in, but with, uh, with three strikeouts and two walks. Or, you know what? Three walks is fine, too. Just one, one, <laughs> one, 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 and he's fine. Now, is that an argument maybe to keep him at uh, closer? Because, I mean, if you – I like the idea of using him as a fireman because you got the chance to strike everybody out. But if he's walking that many players, like, is it better to have him come in in the ninth and just hope he can sequence correctly instead no. of risking him walking in more players? First of all, I appreciate you indulging me, and this is a stupid argument. <laughs> Second of all. Well, you can't do it on purpose, but you just kind of hope that he no, ends up that I would sequence say, up in the right direction. To be honest with you, and this is a stupid way of looking at it, this is stupid smart <laughs> – um, I would call him in a fireman time. situation if there's a base open. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> like if like that's the situation I would go for. Like give him a little wiggle room. I think more than anyone else, Karen Check needs a little bit of wiggle room when he's out there because he's not going to give up a hit. Really, um, he's going to strike you out. He's going to walk you, and it's just it sucks that they're human beings and they can't just do this. But like uh, whenever you see a relief pitcher, he just looks like he's. He doesn't have it that night. You can't go out there, and, especially now they had to face three guys at minimum. But um, even in the past, it was like, well, if you pull him, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna lose, you're gonna lose his respect and all the other stuff. It's all the man management that comes from managing. Um, but to your point, a little wiggle room, yes. I, I like the idea of him being closer still, but the fireman thing is way cooler. And I think they should just keep Class A in the ninth. You know, kind of, kind of just recreate what they did in 2016. I think that was the perfect bullpen management. I think that I've seen. In a long time, it was built for the, to, for the most effective um, approach. And I mean, that was before again. it was cool too. It was Miller was everywhere. Brian Shaw was eighth. Cody Miller or Cody Allen was ninth. And then obviously the thing Miller is, was your best reliever. Like it's still, I mean, that's still not cool. Like they, we still have closers and shit. And like, I don't know why. I don't know why this. Like the fact I think that there is, the, oh, go ahead. you know, the the, the uh, just the fact that the the you know the, the statistical guy, analysis guys, you know, that they've gotten a hold of things and managers are ostensibly just mouthpieces for the front office for the most part. Like they've gotten away from it a bit, but it's still like very much there. You know, there's still the Yankees are as forward thinking and, you know, allegedly smart as they are. They're still rolling. What's his name out there every ninth inning only in save situations or all this Chapman. I mean, I, I guess when you have their bullpen, it doesn't really matter, but um, I think there is yeah. a level to it um, of like just understanding the, not not quite with the respect level of it, but understand if they they feel that they're a closer, and if you take them out of that, it might disrupt something. Um, I, I didn't know does Chapman specifically say he only wants to play as a closer at one point. Like he didn't even like doing extended saves. Like I think there's some players that just they want to be a closer, and if he if he can be just fine there, and you have other players who can be relievers, I think you're better just leaving him off as a closer and let him just get him in his own mental state where he comes in and thinks he's the best pitcher ever in the ninth inning. Which if that's what he believes, that's the important thing. Because if you bring him in. No matter how good he is, if he starts doubting himself in like the seventh and eighth inning, he's going to probably not be that good of a catcher, I guess. But and I just you know I'm looking at someone like for instance the the guy the White Sox just added Liam Hendricks. I mean he was uber effective last year, and he got, I mean he was closing a lot was the thing like he hit 14 saves and 24 appearances like that's 
that that is evidence of him coming in for the save. And this is in a in, in a bullpen that obviously was filthy. Um, but it's just even a team like the A's who is who are ostensibly you know again having to you know trim all the edges and do all that sort of a thing. He did not. You know, they did not do it in that in that front at least. So. I don't know. I mean, like you said, it's you want to put your guys in the best possible position, I suppose, where they're mentally ready to do what it takes. But I don't know. People are people, and you have to manage people, and that's, I guess, one of the one of the hard parts, I suppose. I don't know. There you go. Good point. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. And I'm Karen Check. Um, so beyond the box score, they wrote this thing about him, which I think most, most listeners, I think, probably know about pitch tunneling by now. At least a general idea of what it is. Even just by the name, you can kind of tell. It's it's this idea of throwing two pitches that they look exactly like they're in the same spot through the air for as long as they can be through the trajectory. The last second, they'll either, if it's a curveball, it'll sink right away. If it's a fastball, it will drop less than you expect, so it looks like it rises. Um, but Beyond the Box Score went into a little more for Karen Chak, which is one of his his biggest attributes is how well he tunnels. They had um, they did a neat way of doing a GIF. I, can't, I think it was... Any Rosario knows it's two different players, but they just synced like a left and a right hitter who got really similar pitches. Um, one was because Karen Chak, he has a curveball that drops like crazy and he has a fastball that rises, quote unquote, rises because it doesn't drop as far as you'd expect. But so he tunnels these so well, um, which is a thing we've known for a couple of years now. It's what made Corey Kluber so good, especially toward the end when his velocity started to dip and he was still effective. A big reason because he tunneled so well. It's what makes Shane Bieber so good. It seems like this is a thing that the Indians are purposely teaching through the minors. I'm sure they're not the only ones, but they're the ones who have gotten the best at, at working this, I think. So tunneling is a key to success. But there's also a recent article um, that Mike Petriolo wrote for MLB. He's the guy behind Baseball Savant, <clears throat> one of them. And it was about uh, spin direction. Like for the longest time, um, we, we just kind of inferred the direction of spin based on where the ball went. Like if it was um, – because you couldn't – what they used before was a radar based for, for watching the ball. But now they have – I think – was that Trackman? Now it's Hawkeye. When yeah, it's Hawkeye now. But, Trackman was the yeah. thing. Hawkeye can actually like it sees. It's just a super high speed camera that actually see the seam, so it knows the exact spin rate and spin direction. Um, and what they found, like with this one especially for Karen Chak, is that he does something called mirroring, which I thought was really cool to read about. Uh, if you think as spin rate as a clock, um, each direction the ball spins is a different time. So like a fastball spinning backwards is like twelve because it's it spins up technically if you think about it. Um, and then a curveball spins down out of his hand. Um, so Karen Chak, what he does, his fastball spins at 1230, which is like almost straight up and down, um, and then a little bit to the right. Then his curveball spins at 630. So that's um, obviously if you look at a clock, it's opposite directions. So what it looks like to a catcher or to a to a hitter is when the ball's coming at him, the seams look exactly the same. So not only is James Karen Chak, is the ball in the same exact place, it looks exactly the same until it breaks. And we're talking like milliseconds before you can decide which one it is. 
So I just, as long as Karen Shack is on, I have no idea how you hit any of his pitches because he's throwing like 96 to you and then a breaking ball that is in the dirt and they look, they're in the same place. They look exactly the same and you can't do anything about it. I think, yeah, it's like the only thing you can really do is just just not swing for the first two pitches and hope he misses the strike zone on one of them and then just hope it kind of all kind of falls apart for him. But like you said, he's throwing invisible pitches, basically. it's It, it could be anything. Um, but you mentioned Petriel also wrote about um, Shane Bieber having an entire, basically an entire arsenal that is either right around 11, between like 10.30 and noon and then also between like 4.30 and 6. So it's just... Like you said, it, it must be something they're working on. I mean, I, I know when he was there, uh, Trevor Bauer made a lot of noise about, you know, being the guy doing this thing. But obviously, he's not, you know, one person to change the entire philosophy of an entire uh, organization. That's silly. That can happen. Yeah, I think it was yeah. a good conduit for it, but I don't think he was. The oh, one sure. Did. No, I think he, yeah, like you said, he, he helped bring it to the to the younger players. But, like, at the end of the day, like, this is what they're doing. And this is what made Shane Bieber, even says he's in the article, what makes Shane Bieber an ace? It's this. Uh, it's the fact that he can hide not not only his fastball and his curveball, but like his slider and his curveball, and he can hide his cutter in his slider, and like you said, all these things that uh, Shane or that uh, Kluber was doing prior to uh, leaving, and probably still too if he would actually pitch. Um, it's such a wild little thing though, because hitters hitters have what like a sec like a like a like a eighth of a second or something like that, like point four seconds to decide whether or not to swing. Yeah, then it gets and cut pitch, down even more. <laughs> yeah, like the fact that if the pitch is the same thing, like. Basically, two thirds of the because if you look at where, like for instance, Karen checks curveball breaks, it is probably thirty feet from the plate before it breaks, and that is not enough time to do anything. The human body literally can't do that. It's like this is in a, in a greater sense. This is why people complain about get rid of the shift to ban to, to fix offense. This is that won't help at all. This is what was doing it. This whole bull, all this bullshit. The fact that like I've said it time and again, like hit, teaching hitting is so much harder than teaching. Pitching simply because hitting is inherently reactive, whereas with pitching you are you are setting the stage, and so as long as you can get them on the back foot, you've won immediately. So I, I've had another. Um, speaking of great dumb ideas, uh, I was going to write Hello? about this, but I figured I'd just drop it here. Um, what if you? So what if we get to a point where like pitchers are so good at this that it's it's just virtually impossible to see? Like, could you instead of doing just a white baseball, just make like a like stripes on the ball almost like brighter colored stripes. So it's easier for hitters to pick up the rotation. Like, I wonder what that would do. Like if you get to a point where hitting is just so hard <laughs> and there's all these shifts and the ball, they deaden it or whatever. Like, do you get to a point where maybe you could do something to help them see the ball? If you want to help out offense, it's not a huge change of the game. I don't think so. It's not something like, like changing the shift where it will be a, a huge fight to do it. But I mean, I'm sure pitchers would hate it, but <laughs> it's just something I will different. say that I, um, I disagree with it being a, a, not much of a change. I would say that changing the ball in a sport that involves a ball is literally well, the greatest change you could, you could possibly do. That is, There's nothing more earth-shattering than that. On the other hand, I love that idea, and they should test that out sometime. They should totally have a couple of spring training games where they have like a – I don't even know what it would be, like a zigzag or um, an image or um, some sort of like – asymmetrical shape so that I, I'd probably take a little bit of getting used to, but once he did, you, you wonder how, how if batters would be able to recognize that. But to the point about all these articles of pitch mirroring, it wouldn't matter much for James Karinchak because it looked the same either way. Yeah. At the but, end of the day, the said, spin that, is like the spin is happening. You know, it's happening on the same axis, no matter what. So it's just, I guess you'd notice that it's going the opposite direction. If it's a fastball versus a, 
but it's spinning so fast you can't like i mean i guess they kind of can they're they have really good uh, vision yeah i mean the fact um, they can see the seams as it is is ridiculous to me that is truly wild <laughs> yeah. yes <laughs> truly wild <laughs> uh th- th- that's i love that honestly i love that idea i think it's it's the kind of good stupid smart that we need more <laughs> of in this world and i think it's brilliant and i'm signing on to your uh, your campaign there we go at the very least, I want somebody like all these weird science YouTube channels. I want to find out what you could do to the ball to make it the easiest to see. Like if that would even like an, I like the idea of like you said, asymmetrical shape. Like even if you make it so you can see that it's turning one way versus the other. I want to know like the optimal way to paint the ball so hitters can see it better. Even if we're not going to use it, I think it'd be cool to see that. Back in the um, day, I remember they had glowing balls. That might have been hot. That might have been that soccer hockey, though. Yeah. <laughs> no, are you oh, talking so, about yeah, I'm sorry, soccer back in the day, like early like early night games, they had um they had a like a fluorescent ball or something like that. I, I think they might have done it with, with with baseball as well, like back in the forties or something. They probably used radium or something like that to make it. You know, the good <laughs> old days. <laughs> Go ahead and throw this. Just pitch it up. All right. <laughs> but yeah, I think that'd be kind of neat and weird. But um, but yeah, I think that's about Karen check. I mean, dude's ridiculous. That that the yeah, whole really article is cool. And I think it's cool that we saw um, like Devin Williams's changeup. His, because most of them, you just want it to look like a, a fastball, basically just slower. Or if it's yeah. a breaking one, and go a little faster. But his goes, it's completely to the side. It's like a two seamer. It's ridiculous. And I saw another video about how he throws it and the way he turns his wrist and pronates. It's so weird. Someone else throws a pitch like that. Um, God, like a sideways changeup. Yeah, it's a, it's a Rangers. Um, no, I'm sorry. It's a, it's a, it's a cut chain. That's what it's a cutter. So it moves like a horizontal, but like glove side, as opposed to how Williams moves arm side. Oh, what was his name? I wrote about him a couple of years ago. But yeah, he throws basically a, a, a cut change, which is um, really neat. Uh, what was his name? This is going to bug the shit out of me now. Is he done pitching now? Because it'd be shame if we don't get to no, see No, he's that. around. I mean, he didn't pitch his past year, but I mean, who the hell did? Be, how, how, how the league had COVID? Um, Jose Leclerc. That's who it was. Uh, he's he was the closer in 2019 on the um Rangers. Uh, yeah, he throws a cut change, and it's pretty wild. Like you know, it's just like he, it just it moves like a changeup shouldn't move, basically. Which he just does something with the ball. He throws it in a funky way, and and then there you go. I will say that this baseball savant dropped the whole spin thing, and I'm like, I bet this is really useful. And I'm just like, I don't know, this is useful. <laughs> and um, and this this really I think elucidated the value of being able to see why this impacts things is being able to see that it's it's about it's not just about making pitches that move in kind of complementary ways it's about hiding the pitch within itself and um, among other ones by because the thing we as you know you know just normal people i guess with normal eyes we can't really see the spin or anything like that i know intellectually that to see a slider you see the little red dot but now that you can throw a cutter that moves in Bieber's case, for instance, like his slider moves straight down, basically. It was like no horizontal movement, but his cutter moves almost straight horizontal, and he can hide it within itself because they both move. It was spinning ostensibly the same way. Um, you know, it's, it's cool to see that that's actually – and it's change-up too, so, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, if there's, there's a lot to it. Like, it's not as simple as if it mirrors, it's good, as, as Mike Petrillo wrote. But if, you, if you're somebody who's just going and scrolling by on Baseball Savant, if you want to look and just, like, see, hey, those are probably good, you can basically just look at the spin rate um, the spin direction, the spin based one is the one that can actually be measured by Hawkeye. Just look at like a pitcher who has them that are on opposite ends. Those pitches are probably going to be good. Like <laughs> there's a, there's a decent chance. There's more to it. It might just not, there's more always like as far as control and velocity and actual spin rate that are important, but it's, it's just a neat way to find like a pitcher who, if they struggled or if they're 
if you're just looking for a pitcher who threw a few games and you want to find somebody who might like break out soon, it's just one of the many things you can look at to see that, hey, maybe they might be pretty good. Like I was looking at Joe Musgrove because the Padres just got him and he mirrors a bunch of his pitches. I don't know if that's a thing like they intentionally targeted, but like all of his pitches, um, what is it? So it's his, I can't find a bit in the largest. It's kind of annoying, but his, I think it's a sinker and his curveball are opposite his fastballs. So like you can see how that would work. If the fastball looks the same as the cutter, the fast, the same as the changeup, or the same as the curveball, it's going to mess you up. And that's well, that's what so. And like like you said, it's not all just like well, this. This is this. Like the, even within this article, uh, like Lance Lynn is completely the opposite. Everything he throws is basically piled on one side of the clock. Or I think Kyle Hendricks is probably has he probably has my favorite of any of these is because everything is measured side. His four seam sinker and. What is the green one? Change up are all basically between like eleven and twelve o'clock on the clock, and then just all piled up together. And then on the other side, immediately opposite is curveball. So it's just like I love watching Kyle Hendricks pitch. I think it's a total delight, and he's just he's fucking with your perception of what pitch is coming. So he can basically throw something in. I you wish you could see things like this for like some of the greats of the old in the old days, like oh Greg yeah, Maddox sure. and them, you know. But, I mean, Maddox like, is the one I think is the main one you want to see. Maddox or like Pedro would be a fun one, or quite honestly, it would be, it would be fun to see if uh, like uh, like Randy Johnson is just like what well, none of these mirror anything. Like, it's just, he's just unhittable. <laughs> yeah, <I think>, and <laughs> I think just, if you went back and looked, like a lot of the numbers would be disappointing because they're not finely tuning it. They're, they're right, just, he's just unhittable. Just he's just yeah. he's just an absolute monster, and he's like, oh yeah, he's throwing hundred, he's throwing hundred miles an hour at your head, and, you, <laughs> and the ball's he's, barely he's, spinning. What the hell is this? He's the wings of a condor. He's just a <laughs> mutant freak, man, terrifying, <laughs> staring you down. Uh, All right, man. What do you say we answer some questions every uh, Monday? We ask everybody on Facebook, Twitter, and in the Discord if you want to ask us anything. Um, our first one this week at Glenn Longwell eighty nine. He asks, if you were in charge of the team, what would you try and sign anyone or just accept that we're a third-place team and hope the year's offers some good development for the younger guys? Um, I, I kind of hate to say the second one, but that's kind of where I am at this point. I don't want to sign a bunch of – if they're not going to sign like George Springer or any high-number guys, just just go with what you got and develop the guys and have a down year. What do they mean by if I was the owner? I guess that's my question. <laughs> no, no. If you were in charge of the team. Oh, so that could mean so anything. I, if you're Chris hmm. Antonetti and you know you can't spend a bunch of money, I guess we'll say. I mean, I'd like one or two signings, quite honestly. I mean, you you need to – I think you need to always do that. I think it always makes sense, especially – it didn't make sense this past year, I guess, in a way, to, to try and sign some of those lottery tickets. You know, like like what – um I don't know, like Mike Napoli, I guess, back in 2013 or, or 2016 or whatever. You know, just guys who might be good. Um, You know, the, the ones that always end up shitty sometimes, like when they signed Hanley Ramirez. I – you know, it was not – it didn't turn out well, but there's a chance. And I think that there's – Especially now with the, for lack of a better word, collusion going on and not signing older players. Um, look, I want them to win games still. I want them to to you know help some of these guys develop. But like looking just at like the the pitchers or the hitters rather, who do I want them to to, to try and develop? I mean, Nolan Jones obviously, uh, Jimenez obviously, Naylor. Uh, but after that, I don't I don't really care. Like Mercado, I. He's fine. He's basically, I, I mean, honestly, he's sub replacement level at times. Uh, Bradley would be fun. I'm still in the Jake Bowers camp for some reason, and Daniel Johnson. But like some of these guys, would be fun to see them try to develop. But it'd also be nice to have some guys there who um, can have an impact on the field, but also off. I guess like I, I know it, it, it's hard to quantify or even count or even care about things like the impact an older dude has on some of the younger guys as far as just how they do things. But I think that the I think Cleveland does have a bit of a deficit as far as 
I hate saying veteran leadership. It's it so does bullshit. feel like that, though. I was just going to agree with you that it, it, it sounds like they... But like, I mean, who it is there? Between, like, it was passed from Brantley to Lindor, and then we yeah. got to knock Lindor, but I don't, I don't feel like he passed that on to anybody. It, no, I mean, just, I mean there's Ramirez. Might just anybody but, on the team who... Ramirez feels like a lead-by-example guy more than... I, I guess, yeah, exactly. Or, like, um, Perez, I guess, would be a pick. But, like, even he... like And I like him, but I don't know. It's... I mean, there really aren't any. I mean, like if, this, if the clubhouse I, I, I goes just, south, I don't know who pulls it together, really. Right. I, I just, I, I think it. I, that's just been such a strength of 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 the Francona teams throughout the years is having, you know, I mean, we we, we bitch and moan about his quote unquote guys, but they help at times, and I think that helps with development. Like guys like I'm not gonna say you're gonna say Franmil Reyes is like on, on on a precipice, but I definitely think that he, his career could go one of two ways, and I think those two ways are either what he is now, which is fine, right? Um, a guy who can still hit 30 home runs, but I, th- I think that there's something in there that could be greater than that. And I think ha- having an older person or a, someone who's been through it all and just can, which is not to you know, discount the fact that Reyes has spent three years in the, in the majors already, but um, one of them is a very weird year and all that stuff. So I don't know. I, I, I'd like something. I don't know what it would look like. I haven't really, I haven't really thought about it because I'm not expecting anything, but if I were in control of the team, yes, I would make some kind of move for, even if it's just like a, like a what's it, Juan Uribe type, you know, like just someone like that who isn't going to make a huge impact, but I don't know. I, I feel like someone, someone, someone better than Mike Freeman, I guess. Like not, <laughs> not in that. Il- He's not in the projections. Is, is he? he? I don't even know. But, but I guess like someone in that Juan Uribe ilk, I guess, who was pretty good in the past and is still sticking around. Now, admittedly, that type of player is gone pretty much from baseball because they don't, the math says you shouldn't have them, basically. But I think again, I, I just I, th- I think there's some kind of value there to the psychological navigation of what is bound to be a supremely bizarre year. It's going to be 162 games that they're going to just fight tooth and nail to get through, just based on what all other leagues are doing. Um, and you know, I mean, the, the pandemic isn't going in many times. So yeah, uh, and then also, I mean, like. There is a chance that Michael Brantley's still out there. I mean, I don't know. He's not exactly an outfielder anymore, I don't think. But if you can find a way to squeeze him as a DH. I think that would be the, that'd be the perfect signing. I think, honestly, if, if they could get him somehow. They have money. I mean, they're only spending $11 on their, uh, on their entire <laughs> no, I mean, they offered right Francisco now. Lindor $235 million. So they the better money spend that money. I mean, you know, that, that's like at the end of the day, that's the thing. Yeah, pocket it all if you want. But like. I think as long as they're willing to cut bait on the guys that aren't good, like yeah, exactly. Carlos Gonzalez, uh, Hanley Ramirez, I just don't want um, another Mike Freeman sticking around forever and taking up a bunch of at-bats from somebody. As long right, as they're willing exactly. to cut bait if somebody's terrible and he's not being that much of a leader, I'm fine with signing somebody, but it depends on what, what they're willing to do. Um, so our last one, we'll wrap up the episode for today. It's from S. Brady Artist. He says, pick one, Cesar Hernandez or Eddie Rosario. That's really easy for me. I'm going to go Eddie Rosario because he plays the outfield. <laughs> like They have Ahmed Rosario to play second and Jimenez to play short. I loved Cesar Hernandez last year. I think he has a chance to be this leader guy we're talking about, but also Eddie Rosario can hit. And they're projected to be basically the same, but Eddie Rosario is just in a, a more position of need, so I'm leaning toward him. So I really enjoyed watching Cesar Hernandez. I love – I thought he was – I mean, again, this is after years of get, gutting out Jason Kipnis defensively, which is not – you know. Besmirch Jason Gibbons. He was serviceable. He was bad on defense. <laughs> I truly enjoyed watching Cesar Hernandez play defense. It wasn't quite watching Lindor work his magic, but it was definitely good, pleasurable, fun, smooth, I think is what it was. Um, I don't have any memories of Eddie Rosario, um, so good or bad. So I don't know. I just, you know, recent memory. I would say Cesar Hernandez, but, you know, whatever. 
Sorry to not have a good answer on that one, uh, but Matt's uh, I feel wrong, like if so there you go. <laughs> if Cesar Hernandez was here forever, feels like a lifer. It'd be like another Omar Vizquel, just because he's aesthetically pleasing. He's not as good, but I mean, it's another thing where like you think he's pretty good, but maybe he's not really on paper. But also, he's just really fun to watch, and he's smooth as hell. So you just kind of want him to be better than he really is. But that's the way I feel like Cesar Hernandez was. I I did too. I loved watching him. I think he was. He it's what the team needed at that position last year, to, especially to play with Lindor. We're gonna look back on the defensive infield and like how they let that go how did they not hold everybody to zero runs i mean I santana know. was a decent first baseman obviously roberto perez and then i Any mean ramirez lindor hernandez has got to be the best one two three over there right on defense oh definitely no that, that was that, that, i thought that was a total blast I, I i think they can still do something like that i mean obviously lindor was supreme but i mean jimenez isn't bad like he's you know i mean I, the, the numbers are limited but he definitely his rate like even the stat cast numbers are pretty sharp you know not 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 amazing but yeah and i think um, at some point with shifts you can get away with i mean just putting people in the right place and not needing a lindor every single play but but you know what man i'd prefer to have a lindor every single play (laughs) i I absolutely would that's weird how that works right i haven't looked at his projections and i'm not going to because i want to crack because i know here i go um, (laughs) go rosario are combined (laughs) like 4.7 and i'm sure lindor is a couple over that and i don't want to know do you know who the mets number one rejected wins above replacement guy is Merritt, that's going to be our show for this week. Um, good talking to you. Who is it? Uh, it's Francisco Lindor. <laughs> our last depressing note for the show, Merritt. What is his projected wins above placement for next year? Well, it's worse than Jose Ramirez. Oh, we won the trade. There it's you done. go. We won. Putting up won the, the W on the wall, baby. <laughs> well, I on that much I don't better know. note, <laughs> that's going to be our show this week. Um, if you don't already follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Let's Go Tribe at Let's Go Tribe.com. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, um, Stitcher. I don't know where we'll listen to a podcast. Let's Talk Tribe. Find us on there. Leave us a review. Um, even little stars. If you want to write something, that's cool too. Um, anything helps? And Merritt, talk to you next week. I'll be there.